You're listening to Give Your Life Away, a devotional podcast from Canyon Bible Church of Prescott designed to equip you with the truth of God's Word and encourage you in the pursuit of ascribing glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the Give Your Life Away podcast. I've entitled this episode, What If I Don't Know the Answer? If you're like me, uh, smart people can intimidate you. Uh, You might have experienced being around someone who's intelligent and uh, the topic of religion or Christianity or the Bible or Jesus Christ comes up and there's a certain intimidation. They're well read. They've probably uh, read all the things about Christianity and rejected it and they, they know why they believe that it's false and there's a certain intimidation there. I know I've been intimidated in those situations. So you may be uh, in in an environment where you're uh, sitting next to a, a, an intellectual person or you're sitting next to a marine biologist from UC Berkeley on an airplane. And she is clearly well-read, clearly articulate, uh, intelligent, knows about everything evidently. And so it really kind of shuts you down and you just, you determine not to have a conversation about Christ or the gospel. Because after all, here's the fear. What if she asks me a question that I don't have the answer to. Then she's won, hasn't she? Hasn't she proven that I'm wrong, that Christ is wrong, the Bible's wrong, that my faith is wrong, that 2,000 years of Christian history, that, that the entire history of the Bible and the world is all wrong according to what, how we view it? Isn't she right? Well, no, not necessarily. Actually, she's not right at all. So what do you do when you're in an environment where someone might ask you a question that you don't know the answer to? And you don't want to hear those words, see, I told you, or gotcha, or you're wrong. You don't want to do that, so you just immediately shut down. Well, I want to give you maybe some better ways to think about engaging and things that you can do in those types of environments. First of all, I'd say this. Know that people will object to our faith in a couple main areas. They'll object to miracles. They'll say there's no way there can be a fish that big to swallow a man, like Jonah, There's no way, says this marine biologist, that a man could survive in the belly of a fish for three days. There's no way it could happen. So they will go at the miracles of the Bible. Now, I'll just remind you, miracles are miracles. Of course, there's no human explanation. There's no human explanation for Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. There's no human explanation for God speaking and then things coming into existence. Miracles are miracles. They don't have a logical explanation. Their explanation is the power of God. So people will object to miracles, and you could simply say, you're objecting to something that is is supernatural by nature. Logic can't get you to understand a miracle. A miracle must be seen or embraced by faith. So I get that you don't believe in it, but that does not mean it hasn't happened. So the scriptures say it's happened. I believe it's happened. If there wasn't a fish that was big enough to swallow a man, I believe the Lord could have made a fish that could swallow up a man in that moment. So people will naturally object to miracles, but naturally miracles can't be explained. The second area of attack that people will give is on the scriptures. They will attack the scriptures. They will say that there are lots of errors in the scriptures. And to that, I would encourage you to hand them your Bible and to say, point to one most likely they won't be able to. And right there, you can just challenge their intellectual honesty. If you're going to say that, you actually have to show me where those things happen. You believe talking points. you got to actually show me. 
And sometimes they might point to something that might be um, explained differently in the Gospels. So there might be one account from Luke and one account from Matthew that explains something, and they might say, see, they are saying two different things. Well, those authors, New Testament authors, don't always speak the same way. They don't always give the same facts about a situation. I'll give you an example. If you asked me, what did you do yesterday? And I told you, well, I went to a a family's house in our church to eat dinner. Um, I worked. I studied for a sermon. I made some phone calls. I sent some emails. I kissed my wife. Uh, If I told you all that in regards to what I did yesterday, I would be telling you the truth. Now, if you said, if I wrote that all down and someone 2,000 years later said, well, okay, you said that, but then when someone else asked you and you wrote that answer down, you told them all those things, but you maybe left some things out or you put them in a different order. So to one person, you kind of wrote down all those things that you did. And then to the next person that asked you, you wrote those things down in a different order. Maybe you said, I woke up, I kissed my wife, I went to work and studied for a sermon, I sent some emails, I then went to a family's home in our church. I would be telling you the same things, but the second letter, the second document I wrote listing all the things was actually in chronological order. The first one wasn't. Now, they're both true. One's just chronological and one wasn't. It was just maybe a summary of the day or even just the facts about the day in different order. That does not mean that I lied in any one of those things. I just communicated differently in those environments. Oftentimes, gospel writers do the same thing. Gospel writers aren't subjecting themselves to to a, a critic of Scripture 2,000 years later who says that you've got to write everything in this way. Luke just wrote the way he wrote. Matthew wrote the way he wrote. They were sending a message, and it wasn't always we're going to be chronological in all the details. They were writing for a specific purpose, and it might not be the purpose that the reader today wants, to ha- wants them to have. So people will attack the miracles of the Bible. They will attack the Bible itself. They will attack the transmission of the Bible. They'll attack all sorts of things. And sometimes they'll ask us questions that kind of put us on our heels. You might not know the answer to all that. My illustration of kind of walking through my day and how that relates to maybe how the gospel writers wrote, that might not be something that you have at the the forefront of your mind. And so you could be thrown off by that. So what do you do if they say, hey, explain the account of, of, of this in Mark and this in John? Why is there a difference? You might simply say, I don't know, but I'll find out. So let me kind of go forward and give you some practical takeaways here. First, when you are talking to someone who has objections about Christianity and really kind of throws something at you and you don't know the answer, don't know what to say, here are three things I want to give to you. First is this, understand that their objections are a front. Their big problem is not Jonah and a fish. Their problem, big problem is not how Luke might write something different or in a different way than Matthew. That is not their big problem. Their big problem is a 2 Corinthians 4.4 problem. Their minds are being blinded by the God of this world, Satan. They've, they are spiritually dead, Ephesians 2. They've got an Ephesians 2 problem. They've got a Colossians 1 problem. They are alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. They've got a heart problem. These other things are just fronts that they put up. If you could prove those things were true, it's probably unlikely that they'd say, okay, I see how this could happen or that could happen. Or, okay, you've explained to me how the different gospel writers write different things. Rarely would they then say, therefore, I bow my knee to Jesus Christ. 
Because the issue isn't the way the Gospels were written. The issue is their heart does not want to submit to God and his word. That's the real issue. You're not dealing with an intellectual problem is what I'm saying. You're dealing with a spiritual problem. So know that first of all. Secondly, know this. Their conscience is on your side. Romans 2 says that every person on the planet has a conscience. They know when they do wrong. They know when they do right. Now, a conscience can be seared. It can be corrupted over time. So they, they begin thinking that something wrong is actually re- something really good. They can certainly have their conscience diminished or affected. And that does happen, we know. But ultimately, their conscience is on your side. When you articulate sin, they really do on the inside know that it's true. They know that righteousness is, is good. So their conscience is on your side. They've got something inside of them that God has put into them by his common grace that is on your side. So you've got an advocate even inside of them. So speak truth. You never know when that will trigger something. There will be a Holy Spirit kind of dynamic explosion that happens when they hear truth and the Holy Spirit breathes life onto their heart and they see it. So their conscience is on your side. Understand that the objections are a front. And secondly, know that their conscience is on your side. Thirdly, if someone asks you something and you don't know the answer, keep learning. Keep learning. I know there have been times where people have asked me things and I haven't known. I haven't known the answer. There are other times when people ask me something or will challenge something about Christianity and I remember something I heard in a sermon. I remember something that I read in an article or in a book that helps me in my evangelism toward them. It helps me answer the question. This just happened last week. Somebody somebody, um, said something about the way God must be if this thing is true in the Bible, and this person was wrong. And so I remembered something I heard in a sermon that, that is actually helpful and truthful, and I just articulated that back to them. And it really satisfied this guy's response. He said, oh, okay. So keep learning. Keep listening to your pastor. Keep reading books. Keep reading articles. Keep studying and learning. So when you don't know the answer... Don't think, I'm just going to never try to educate myself. I'm just going to sit here and the Holy Spirit's going to bring me all the words and all the intellect I need in that moment. That's not true. Christians study. Christians read. Christians ponder. Christians know the scripture. Christians search for and have answers. So understand that their objections are a front. Know that their conscience is on your side. Three, keep learning. Four, say, I don't know. Don't make something up. If you don't know an answer, say, I don't know. But that's not the end of my fourth exhortation. The end of it is, and then go find out. So just say you don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out. Can I get your email address? Can I get your card? Can I get your phone number? Say, I don't know, and go find out. Fifth and finally, focus them on the main story. The main problem in their world the main problem in the world of this, of this marine biologist from UC Berkeley is not that Jonah could not survive three days in a fish, according to her. That's not the main problem. The main problem is that she is still in her sins, and God is going to judge her, and God has made a way for her to be reconciled back to him through his son, and she does not embrace his son. That's her biggest problem, and it affects her relationships It affects everything she does, whether she wants to admit it or not. She's got a bigger problem than a prophet 
and a fish. So, number five, focus her. Focus them on the main story. Focus them on the gospel story. Focus them on their need. Focus them on sin and repentance and eternal life. Focus them on that story. Do not let them hijack the conversation. You're the one evangelizing them. If they want to talk about Jonah and the fish, you can do that for a time. But what I want, really want you to see is where Jonah and the fish fits into the bigger story of Scripture. There's a bigger story that's being told. God is a king. He has a kingdom, and the people under his rule are in rebellion toward him, but he has made a way for them to be right with him and to be servants of his, subjects of his. And by the way, they become sons and daughters of the king. That's the main story that you need to understand that the Bible is telling. So you are the one with truth on your side. The Bible is true. The gospel is true. And ultimately what's true is what is real. You are the ones with truth on your side. So when people try to throw you off or object to something, have an answer, find out the answer, but ultimately say, okay, I can get back to you on that. But do you know the big message of the Bible? You might know the Bible as a bunch of just stories or, or a bunch of things to do and things not to do. The Bible is bigger than that. It tells a big and amazing story, professor from UC Berkeley. Do you know what that story is? Well, uh, kind of or no. And, and then you just go into that story for a couple of minutes. Focus them on the big picture. God has made a way for people to be made right before him because he loves them and he sent his son whom he loves for them and they can be with him forever. And that is what that professor needs to know, along with everybody else in the world. So I pray that as you give your life to the Lord, you would not back down when maybe there's a fear of someone who's intellectual or when there's a fear of not knowing an answer, but that you would engage and keep the main story at the forefront. If you've been encouraged by the Give Your Life Away podcast, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you'll find us online at canyonprescott.org. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for Give Your Life Away. We are alive.